Good morning, Calvary family. Uh, it's great to see you. And looking forward for us to be able to get into this whole new series called Rest. Because I do believe that we need to be able to figure out and learn and experience what real rest is. It's sort of different than just relaxing. It's different than relaxation. It's something deeper and something that God wants to work in us. And so what I'm hopeful for today is that as we kick this off, as we are in Hebrews chapter 3, which we're calling the road to real rest, is that you'd have an understanding of what it means to be intimate with Jesus, what it means to find real rest through trusting in him. And so I'm just uh, looking forward to us digging into his word and some really challenging and great texts of scripture, but excited to see how God will use them. And as I was thinking about rest, this might be a, a crazy illustration, but it's with rest and what's going on in this passage. As uh, I was thinking about uh, a marathon that I just ran on February 2nd. And, you know, you don't maybe think about rest when you think marathons, but actually rest is so important to be able to do well at something like a marathon. Rest is actually one of the most vitally important things. But then um, I was kind of thinking about the day and how I was so excited to do this. I had big goals for myself. I, I didn't want to walk ever. I just wanted to make sure I was able to run the whole time. And so I'm going on this thing. I'm doing this, this marathon. And I remember mile 15 to 18, somewhere in that range, I was almost euphoric. I mean, I was having such a great time. You might just think that that's insanity, but I was. I was just having the best time, feeling so good. I'm like chatting with people that I'm running by, probably annoying them <laughs> to no end, waving to friends as I saw them passing by. And uh, it, was, it was so great. But then I hit mile 20, 21, and I'm finding myself starting to get upset and to grumble and to complain and to think, like, why are all these water stations at this spot? There should be one sooner. Why is it not there? And just getting all frustrated and wanting to uh, kind of like mentally negotiating to just change all of my goals and just why not just stop? Why not just walk? It's fine. And then as I hit the last mile, this is actually serious, I see a guy on the ground having chest compressions done on him by the paramedics. And then I'm starting to get for reals scared and nervous at this point, just thinking like, maybe I should just go back. Maybe just go back and be done and just stop this whole thing. And this actually relates very, very closely to the illustration that's given in Hebrews 3. And it's this whole story of the people of Israel, when they come out of slavery, they come out of Egypt and they go into the wilderness and everything's kind of good and they're feeling great about it. They're singing songs of praise to God. But then as they're going further and further, they start to complain. They start to grumble. They test God. They're negotiating with God. And then eventually they even just want to leave and turn back. And they don't want to listen to him at all. So that's the backdrop to the story that we have today, this passage that we have in Hebrews 3. So let's read this together. I encourage you to look in your own Bible, to pull it up on your phone, whatever that you're doing, and let's read Hebrews 3, 7 to 19. It says this, Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, 
So you got to stop there. Whenever you see this word, this kind of like basic inductive Bible study methods class or a basic seminary class would teach you. Whenever you see the word therefore, you have to ask yourself, what's the therefore there for? All right. So you want to then look back and realize, okay, what is it referring to? So all the way back knowing that the book of Hebrews is the beginning is telling you about how Jesus is the exact representation of the glory of God, that he's greater than angels. He's greater than the law. He's greater than the system of sacrifice. He's greater than Moses even. It says Moses was faithful in in the beginning of chapter 3, but Jesus is even more faithful. So hold fast, hold tight to him. And then we get here. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, even there recognizing the Holy Spirit of God is who has inspired these words that are written here, that are back all the way in the book of Psalms, back in the book of Exodus and Numbers. This is the word of the Holy Spirit of God. And so then we go into this whole Old Testament quote here. It says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. So this is that whole thing with the Israelites. We'll talk about it more. It says, Where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now that ends that quote of Psalm 95. And then verse 12 says, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. While it is said, and he quotes again, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were not, enter, they were not able to enter because of unbelief. All right. So let's dig into this whole passage a little bit. It can be a little bit like hard to understand at first because we need to understand the past. And so my first point for us is even in the first few verses of this is to learn from the past. Learn from the stories of the Old Testament. We can learn from the stories of the New Testament. We can learn from our own past. Learn from the past. Now, this uh, passage, even it says this in this quote, it says, Do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. Now, 
this is like one of these perfect examples that we've talked about. We've talked about how the, the reader or the listener of the book of Hebrews in that original uh, audience in the first century, they would have had this real thorough understanding of all of the Old Testament, especially this story of the people of Israel within these first five books of the Old Testament. Okay, so now when when he quotes this here, this, this author of Hebrews in Hebrews 3.8, Hebrews 3.8 quotes Psalm 95, 7 through 11. So this whole part here is actually Psalm 95. Now, Psalm 95 says, Today, if you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as at Meribah. Meribah is this place we'll talk about in a second. And it says, as in the day of Massah is another location, Massah, in the wilderness. When your fathers tested me, they tried me. Though they had seen my work for 40 years, I loathed that generation. And said, there are people who err in their heart and they don't know my ways. Therefore, I swore in my anger, truly, they shall not enter my rest. So Hebrews 3 is quoting Psalm 95, which is referring then to these stories in Exodus 17 and Exodus 20 that take place at this place called the waters of Meribah or this other place called Massah. Now, what the, the story is, is the people of Israel have come out of the whole thing of slavery in Egypt, right? Moses has brought them out. They've seen the, the plagues that came against Egypt. They've seen themselves going through the Red Sea and being delivered by God. They've seen Mount Sinai and had the law come and God has appeared to them. I mean, they even struggled with sin in that, that story as well. But then they come out of that and they've had all of this and God is providing for them. But then they are grumbling and complaining and actually, the word Meribah means to quarrel or argue. And so this place has even been named after them arguing with God because they want water. They're thirsty. They want water to drink. And God does then provide it for them. Then in Numbers 20 is this story where Moses himself, he uh, is, they, they want water again. And Moses actually commits this sin because God says uh, to strike the rock once. And Moses strikes the rock twice and then water comes forth. Now you might think what's the big deal striking the rock twice? Well actually it was a huge deal to God. It actually was his punishment for this for Moses was he was not able to enter the promised land. Now because you have to understand this is Moses had God speaking to him but Moses, instead of just trusting in what God told him, Moses took actions into his own hands. He made it about what he could do. God said, do this once. Moses said, I got to do it again to strike that rock and to do what I can do to make water come out instead of trusting in what God will do. And so all of this, this happens. It's all referring to that happening. Massah was actually testing God, means to test God. And then also this is referring to this even greater sin that takes place in Numbers 13 to 14. And what this is, is this is the sin of the people of Israel when they finally get, after about a year, they get to the edge of the promised land and they send in these spies. They send in 12 spies to go check it out. 
The spies come back. This is all in Numbers 13, 14. And they say, hey, it's awesome. The, the place, they don't maybe use that word, but they say this whole promised land is amazing. They say it's flowing with milk and honey, which is actually a reference to it being full of provision that there's plenty for them to eat. There's goats to have goat milk flowing with milk. And there's date palms everywhere to be able to make honey out of these dates. And so it's flowing with milk and honey. And, but then they say, we shouldn't go in though because there's fortified cities, strong enemies with giants even in the land. And so they decide, 10 of them say, it's too scary to go in there. We can't do it. There were two spies, Joshua and Caleb, that said they could, but they are overruled and the people were afraid and they wouldn't enter the land. God is very angry with them because of this because, again, they did not trust in the power of God. They thought it was about what they could do to be able to defeat the enemies and thought they weren't strong enough, therefore it couldn't be done. So then God's angry with them and says that they will never, this generation, this Exodus generation that's come out of Egypt, will never get to go into the promised land. So you have to go and wander for 40 years until you all die, and then that next generation will be able to enter the land. So that's everything, like that's all this base of knowledge that these people would have had as they hear Hebrews 3 being read to them. That God had these rich blessings for the Israelites, but they didn't trust his power. And so these Jewish believers that are reading the book of Hebrews, that are hearing this read to them, they're in this similar position that they're wavering and they're lacking faith, they're lacking belief because they're thinking it's about them and what they can do rather than trusting in the power of God. And so they're considering going back to Judaism, back to the law and going back, like, like the Israelites wanted to go back to Egypt. And God's like, no, don't. The author's saying, no, don't fall into that unbelief. Stay strong. So just like for us today that we doubt and we think it's about our own power and our own strength, but God says, no, 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 trust in me. You might be going through a hard time. Trust in me that I'm here with you. It is, I am the one that will give you the strength and the, and the ability to have faith even in me. So look to me, trust in me, and not into yourself. One of the beautiful things about this, this kind of brutal story of, of the book of Exodus and Numbers is that one thing we see in Numbers 14, verse 20 here is that God says, all right, as Moses pleads for the people after God says he's basically just going to smite them from the face of the earth, Moses pleads on their behalf. And then verse 20, the Lord said, I have pardoned them according to your word, Moses. You've asked for this, so I have pardoned them. They are forgiven, but he goes on to say, but they will be punished and they will not be able to enter the promised land. So they've been forgiven. They've been pardoned eternally in that eternal sense, but they have a temporal punishment in the here and now. And so it's, it's often that that can happen for us. And even when we kind of make some analogies and when the author of Hebrews makes some analogies, he's not saying the promised land is heaven. He's not saying that you won't go to heaven if you struggle with doubt or lack of belief. But he is saying you won't experience 
the life of promise that God has for you now. That there are consequences for our sin, our disobedience, and our lack of belief. So here in this first point, I want to encourage you to respond by learning from the past. To read the scriptures to learn and remember our biblical past. And also to reflect on our own past, your own past, to learn from the experiences of your life. It's important for us to learn from the past. And then this passage continues and has a next point for us to remember. And it is that we are to encourage faithfulness in one another. And so in verses 12 to 15, we see this in the middle. It says, encourage one another day after day so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Encourage one another continually, day after day. We need to encourage each other, <coughs> excuse me, so that we're not hardened by sin. Because sin will try to deceive you. Sin will have this false allure of kind of trying to lure you and entice you into sin. And it hardens us to God. And so we begin to, to want to go into just personal pleasure and seeking after that instead of looking to God. And it, it kind of skews the way that we're able to see God. And it skews what we actually find real fulfillment in. And so encouragement is the antidote to the deceitfulness of sin. And what we need to then be able to do is to encourage each other in this. And it's kind of different than judging each other. We are actually given permission to judge each other within the church. We're actually not supposed to judge those outside the church, but within. But I think what we see is a little bit of nuance here of how we can do that. How we can encourage each other away from sin. And I think it's just subtly different than bringing judgment. I think people might respond a little better when you think about doing that where it's like, hey, I just want to encourage you, like, you see this friend, this brother, this sister in Christ that's getting off track. And we say, no, I just want to encourage you to follow Jesus. I want to encourage you that this is hurting you. This thing you're doing, this way you're living is harming you and bringing you down. And I want to encourage you to do this. It's going to be for your best. That God has something beautiful for you. A promised land, a life of promise now. Don't go into this allure of sin that's just going to become your downfall. And so we can encourage each other in this. And so I think our response in the midst of this time is for us to choose someone that we can encourage this week and to actually do it. I want to show you a video now that's just a bit of an example of a way that we would love to see you be able to like play this out. And it's a way that uh, some folks in our church you'll see here with Melissa and her family just playing this whole thing of being a good neighbor and letting that ring. All right. Hey, everyone. We miss our friends and we can't see all of our friends that we want to see and so we thought we would drop some fun stuff off for them so we got a box of donuts and a mix cd for our friends jake and robin and we are going to sneak around their house ring the doorbell drop the stuff and bolt my friend jacob loves coke so we're bringing him some coke 
Right, ladies? You ready? Okay. Good job, girls. Good job. There is an amazing family in our church who just had a little baby who's the sweetest and it's premature and we think that they could use some sustenance. So this is uh, just a great way that we can, uh, you know, it's, a, it's an opportunity to ding-dong ditch as well, which is really fun, right? And so you can encourage some people that are in your neighborhood, friends, whoever, that, like someone that God puts on your heart for you to be a good neighbor uh, and practice good neighboring by ringing that doorbell with a blessing. And so we've just got some even details that you can find out, just like ways to think about some ideas at calvarylife.org slash local and ways that you can even share that with us because we'd love to see some of those stories of you doing some good neighbor ring, all right? Uh, so that encouragement can be this uh, just help for people that are feeling down. And right now I think a lot of people are just sort of in a funk and feeling off and some people are going through some real deep struggles as well. And so we can encourage folks and not allow something like this season we're in to lead us towards the deceitfulness of sin. Uh, and then this passage continues and that we can't have rest, real rest, without obedience. And I think we've seen through this example of these people of Israel and how they were not able to go into the promised land, that that unbelief, that disobedience is what led them to not having rest and just wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And that's what this author of Hebrews is trying to show. And we see this in verse 18. He says, To whom did he, God, swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? And to those, he then says in 19, to those who did not believe. That it is this lack of belief that's what kept them out of the promised land. That this, this disobedience that then that led to, that was part of that. And, you know, like what happens is when there's unbelief, that leads then to disobedience, which for them in Israel led to this whole just widespread sin of this entire people group as a whole community. They're under consequence from God. And, you know, it's, it's then what happens is discipline, that we are disciplined by God in certain times. And 
we have to see that sometimes the discipline of God or the discipline that we go through, that's actually a gift that God has for us. I mean, it tends to be that I, I would see like, like people that have these kids that are just out of control often tend to be ones that just have no guidelines, no boundaries, no rules. That uh, there's kind of an expression of happy sheep are those that have good boundaries, have a pen that keeps them safe away from danger, but that we recognize these guidelines and boundaries that God has for us are so that we can experience his best and experience his rest. So God wants that for us. And, uh, you know, that when you look into then the story of Hebrews, again, is where you've got people wanting to go back to the law, leaving the, the beauty of grace in Jesus Christ and go back into the law, back into Judaism. You've got people back in the Old Testament. They're about to enter the promised land if they could just trust in God and his power. But they want to go back to Egypt, back to their past, even though they were slaves because they actually felt like they would know what would happen to them. They'd get what they felt like they needed. Their meals each day provided for them by their slave masters. But God has something more. God has something more for you in this promised land. God has a life of promise for each one of us. And a life of his rest which is so much more than just getting to kick back and relax. It's a life of purpose. It's a life of fulfillment. It's a life of intimacy with Jesus. And so we recognize that God's rest is about something more. And it is about trusting in the power of God, not the power of yourself. There's actually a, a few different types of rest that just... I'll describe briefly that are by uh, this Messianic Jewish theologian, Arnold Fruchtenbaum, who's just incredible. And he talks about Canaan rest, where we would cease struggling with the enemy and trust in the power of God, recognizing God is the one that will defeat the Canaanites, the ones that are those enemies. God will defeat them. I don't need to try to. So whatever's coming against us, we recognize through this Canaan rest that it is God's power that will deliver us, not ourselves. Then there's this creation rest where we trust in the completed work of God. Like he did after God created the world after, in six days and after that he rested. That we trust that the work of Jesus Christ through his life, death and resurrection that completed the work. Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. It is accomplished. And he accomplished it. We don't need to. So when we recognize that, we know that the way for us to spend an eternity with God in the new heaven and new earth, it is through resting in his completed work. And then finally, this Sabbath rest is the way we practice the understanding of both Canaan rest and creation rest today, that we know that God did the work, that God will fight our enemies. And so the spiritually mature can rest in him and practice this Sabbath rest in the here and now, that we'll experience this life of God's promises in the here and now, not just in heaven to come. 
And so I want you to be able to, to see those and understand those. And so our response to that, our response to that is that in prayer, we would ask God to reveal areas of our unbelief or our disobedience that are preventing us from really entering that rest. And so just a few thoughts in conclusion for us of how can we avoid that unbelief? How can we avoid slipping into that deceitfulness of sin? I think the first is that we, we don't let doubt become apathy. Don't let your doubts become laziness or giving up. It's okay to have doubts. We all have doubts. But let that help you to seek God further, to dig into his word and in prayer. Don't just let your doubts make you give up on him. We can also avoid unbelief by not equating faith with certainty. Okay? Faith and certainty are not exactly the same thing. That We can be assured of a lot of things through God's word, but certainty is different. And that even the definition of faith is that we have confidence in something we can't see. That God will shore up our faith and we might not be certain about a lot of things. But through the Spirit of God, he will give us a faith even though we might not be able to see. We can also avoid unbelief by having some friends who are a little further on the way that can encourage us and help us and help us to be able to believe. We can also avoid <clears throat> unbelief by what I want to call sitting down in the chair. Sitting down in the chair. We can have faith that this chair can hold us up. I can have a faith and belief this chair will hold me if I sit in it. But it's not until I actually sit in it that my faith turns to actions. And so when we say, okay, I'm going to sit on the stool, now my faith in that stool has become faith in action. And then we see God working in that. And so allow your faith to become action. And I think that you will see God working. And then the last thing of all here, all right, is that I want you to listen for the voice of God. Today in these verses in Hebrews and in Psalms, not once, not twice, but three times it says, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. If you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts and provoke God, but listen, listen for his voice. And as God speaks to you, I believe God can and I believe God will speak to you. And when you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Don't not believe that God can speak to you. Know that he speaks to you today through his word and through the Holy Spirit who speaks to you that you'll have a sense of his voice. God will speak to you. Do not harden your heart and slip into unbelief. But know that God is speaking to you today, encouraging you to follow his ways. And that is where you will find rest. That is what will lead you to that intimacy with him that is real and true rest. So as we're about to continue to worship God through singing, I want you to shore up your faith and your belief through worshiping him in song. I encourage you to seek God out in that way now. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that you would give us real rest. 
Lord, that you would allow us to have a faith that is strong, that is empowered by your Holy Spirit, God. I pray that you would give us the strength to obey you when it's hard. I pray that then, Lord, that would lead us to rest. And Lord, I pray for each person that is out there right now watching this and listening to these words. I pray in the name of Jesus that your Holy Spirit would speak to each one of them, Lord. And Lord, that when they hear your voice, their hearts would be soft towards you and receptive to your leading. And that when they hear your leading, God, they would follow. And through that, they would be able to experience a promised land here and now. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.